1726, Benjamin Franklin was on a voyage back to Philadelphia. And on that voyage, he set down a list of virtues, a list that has become quite famous, an interesting list. There were 13 items on his list. I'll read them briefly. Temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, chastity, tranquility, and humility. Certainly, uh, these are virtues. He uh, defined what each of them meant to him, and he sought to live his life accordingly. Uh, For temperance, he wrote, Eat not to dullness, and drink not to elevation. For justice, he wrote, Wrong none, by doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty. For humility... He wrote, imitate Jesus and Socrates. So he wrote uh, definitions that uh, brought to mind the the attribute of these virtues that he sought to emulate. You know, various individuals have set down a list of virtues that they have sought to live their lives by. The contents of those lists vary. My purpose today is not to look at a particular list of virtues, but rather to focus on one virtue in particular that is increasingly scarce. The virtue to which I refer is loyalty. I have a quote here from a business author and strategist by the name of Frederick Reichland, and he had this to say about loyalty. Loyalty is dead. The experts proclaim and the statistics seem to bear them out. On average, U.S. corporations now lose half their customers in five years, half their employees in four, and half their investors in less than one. We seem to face a future in which the only business relationships will be opportunistic transactions between virtual strangers. Certainly not a pretty picture that he paints of the business workplace and the role that the lack of loyalty plays in it. As we look around us in our society, we see a lack of loyalty in many, many areas. Think about the divorce rates. You know, divorce rates that are uh, statistically half the marriages will end in divorce. That number would be far higher were it not for the abundance of uh, couples that are living together without the benefit of marriage. We see around us in our society disloyalty in many areas. And as was mentioned in the sermonette, we are affected by the society that we live in. It rubs off on us. And it's important that we consider that, consider the extent to which it is rubbing off or has rubbed off on us. Today we're going to look at what the Bible says about the virtue of loyalty. Loyalty is very important to God. 
And as we shall see, and sadly, it is a virtue that has been waning in the church of God in the last 30 years. We're going to begin by noticing a definition of loyalty. This is from Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Loyalty is defined as unswerving in allegiance, faithful, it's synonymous with fidelity. It also goes on to say, loyalty implies a faithfulness that is steadfast in the face of any temptation to renounce, desert, or betray. Loyalty is steadfast in the temptation, in the face of temptation, to go astray or to change course. Let's, when we look at loyalty in Scripture, perhaps something, a good starting place would be thinking about loyalty to God. It's something that God absolutely expects and requires of us. The very first commandment that we are to have no other gods before the true God. God expects loyalty. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. When Christ was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You know, said slightly differently, The first commandment is that we are to be loyal to God with every fiber of our being, with everything that we are, with the entirety of our mind, all of our thoughts, our whole heart and being is to be poured into being loyal, unswervingly loyal to God in the face of temptation. We're going to see more on that later. Think about, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Start with loyalty to God, and and then we're going to go on down into greater detail. Matthew chapter 4. Remember when the tempter came to Jesus following Jesus' fast? And he, in verse 3, said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones that that these stones become bread. Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. We don't get to pick and choose. We can't circle the scriptures that are easy to follow and X out the ones that are rather difficult. That's that's not our prerogative. 
We are to live by every word. Being loyal to God, being loyal to His Word, means that we follow it, we try to follow it, completely, every bit of it. Now certainly in order to to do that, requires that we study it daily. But we can't pick and choose. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. So we started out with loyalty to God and then loyalty to His Word. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to notice the next area. Loyalty to His way of life. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let us not grow weary. Remember that from the definition of loyalty that I read, that it involves faithfulness in the face of temptation. You know, under pressure, when we maybe are discouraged, that we remain committed, absolutely committed. That's what's being discussed right here. To not grow weary while doing good. That there are times as we go through life that we face various pressures. And Satan, we know, is the prince and the power of the air. That he sends us these thoughts. He sends us these thoughts to get us discouraged. Make us think, what's the use? Let's go back to Psalm 73. Turn back to the 73rd Psalm. We all wrestle from time to time with what we just read. To not grow weary in, in doing good. To not grow weary of the way of life to which we have been called. We notice here in Psalm 73 that being discussed or described, the psalmist writes in verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 5, They are not in trouble as other men are, nor are they plagued like other men. Verse 12, 
Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Isn't that what we were just reading in Galatians? That we're not to grow weary in doing good? And yet, think about what we're, what we're reading right here that the psalmist is describing. That surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. You know, where do thoughts like that come from? Our adversary. Things aren't going very well, and he sends us these thoughts with the hopes that it will cause us to be disloyal to the way of life, to turn aside from the way of life that which we have been called. Let's read on a little further. Verse 16, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. So as he began to Focus not on the physical, but instead on God's Word. Then began to see clearly. Verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. What we're reading about here is, as the psalmist begins to have a, a right perspective... He is apologizing before God, professing His unswerving loyalty to God. I am continually with you. You Brethren, as we focus on what the Bible says about loyalty... We need to understand what it means in various aspects of our life. Understand how it is that we put this concept into practice. How it affects the choices that we face each day. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. We've looked at loyalty to His way of life. Let's look at another aspect of loyalty or another area in which we apply loyalty in our lives. In Matthew chapter 24, I'll begin reading in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant say in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, 
the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two, and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christ is commending the faithful servant, the one who is doing what he is told, even when it seems like my Lord delays his coming. You know, we have been given a mission. Christ gave a mission to His disciples. We must be loyal to the mission that Jesus Christ gave to His disciples. Let's notice Matthew chapter 4. We're going to see an example in Peter's life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Christ called Peter personally, and he called him for a purpose. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. You know, each of us have been called for a purpose. You know, why are we here? Certainly, God is the one who does the calling. He's the one that began to open our minds, enable us to understand His Word. And we're here because of the work that he began or raised up through Mr. Armstrong, the work that Mr. Meredith has continued. God, as he began opening our minds, working with each and every one of us, brought us into contact with that work. And through their efforts, as God the Father and Jesus Christ used them and guided them, Our minds were opened to a greater degree to grow in understanding. In Luke chapter 24, we see here in verse 33, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he, that's Jesus Christ, was known to them in the breaking of bread. So following the crucifixion, In the resurrection, Christ had appeared to His disciples. We're reading about that here. Verse 36, Now as He said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them, and He said to them, Peace to you. 
So then Christ begins talking with them. In verse 45, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So after Christ was raised from the dead, you can imagine what a traumatic event that must have been for the disciples. As they realized they, they were still trying to make sense of what had happened. That wasn't exactly like they had expected things. So Christ here appears to them. Opens their mind to the Scriptures to help them to see that what happened was written before. That these verses pointed to those events that they had just witnessed. Help them to understand the purpose that we just read part of that. And that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, what their part is going forward. And yet, now let's turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Begin in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. In this way, He showed Himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twain, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to Him, We are going with you also. They went out, immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Peter said he was going fishing, this wasn't an afternoon leisurely fishing trip. We read earlier, Peter was a fisherman by trade. He was returning to his former livelihood. They went with them. God did not bless their efforts that night. They caught nothing. Christ came out and appeared to them as they were uh, out in the boat and He was on the shore. Once they realized that there was Jesus, they rushed back to be with Him. Christ there had prepared breakfast. Let's notice the exchange then between Jesus and Peter. In verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. 
He said to him again the second time, verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. You remember when we read earlier when Christ called Peter? Told him, I'm calling you. I will make you fishers of men. Peter here was grieved when Christ asked him, Do you love me? It disturbed him deeply. Christ kept repeating the question. To Peter's way of thinking, of course. And yet Christ was showing him, if you love me, then this is what you will be doing. I called you for a purpose. If you love me, it's going to show up in action and this is what it's going to look like. You're not going to be out there in your former profession. I've called you to do something. I've given you a job. If you love me, if you are loyal to me, this is what it looks like. You will be doing what I told you to do. You know, that grieved Peter deeply when Christ kept asking him the question. But he was asking him because from Christ's perspective, it wasn't very apparent. If we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our being, then it looks like something in our lives. If we are loyal to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, not picking and choosing, but loyal to every word, striving to live by it, even when it's difficult, it looks like something in our lives. It produces a result that's clear, that's visible, that's evident. If we're loyal to His way of life, it looks like something. It's clear. Even when it's difficult. Peter and the rest of the disciples were greatly discouraged after Jesus was taken, was arrested, was beaten, crucified. You know, they were greatly discouraged. You know, from time to time, there are things that come along that shake us to the foundations of our faith, that shake us 
to our foundations. This was one of those events for them. And yet, you know, Christ came along and encouraged them, strengthened them, explained to them the why, that this is why those things had to happen, and that this was what they were supposed to be doing. Peter went on. We can read about how he took this admonition that Christ gave that we read right here, John chapter 20. You know, when we read about Peter in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, we see him preaching the gospel with great power, loyal to the mission that Jesus Christ had given him and the others. God has given us a mission. That mission, as it's stated in our statement of beliefs, is to preach the true gospel of the kingdom of God. That's from Mark 1, verse 14, Matthew 24, verse 14, Ezekiel 3 and 33. And the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 8, verse 12, to all nations as a witness, to feed the flock and to organize local congregations to provide for the spiritual and material needs of our members as God makes it possible. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 4, John 21, verse 15 through 18. And to preach the end-time prophecies and to warn English-speaking nations and all the world of the coming great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21. Now, this is not a mission that we just kind of selected because it sounded good. This is a mission that Jesus Christ gave to His disciples. And he said it would be, they would be going about it at his return. That when he returned, they would be actively doing it. When Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be a group of people that are doing that when he comes back. That's the mission that he has given to his disciples. That's the mission that we are striving to carry out. Remaining loyal to that mission. Unswerving in our efforts to carry out that mission. Not because it's convenient or easy. It's not. We all know that. Yet this is what we were called to do. Let's... Now, look at another aspect of loyalty. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. I want to talk about loyalty to those that God is working through, but first, Have you thought about how God is loyal to us? 
I'd like to, to notice that. Let's turn to Second Samuel, chapter 24. Remember that our task now is to be building godly character in our lives. We're told to have the same mind that Jesus Christ had. To understand that and to apply it in our lives. Obviously, we can't on our own do that. It requires God's Spirit working with us, in us, through us to accomplish that. Let's understand how God is loyal to those that He has called. That will help us, give us the proper framework to understand how we then are to be loyal to others. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, We're going to start here in verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And He moved David against them to say, Go and number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. Why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. My purpose in turning to this passage, you know, let's think about what was about to happen. The one that God had appointed as king over Israel was about to make a terrible mistake. And his advisors told him, you know, this is a bad idea. We really wish you wouldn't. You know, I, I wish God would just multiply the people greatly and that you would see it. Please don't do this thing. They counseled the king. They gave him advice. That was their role. And yet, he was the king. He was the boss. So at the end of the day, it was his call. He insisted that they carry this out. And they did so. Now let's notice on down a little bit. Let's see the, the result. Verse 10. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David realized after he had done it, he realized his, his own conscience was pricked. 
He realized I should have listened. My advisors gave me good advice. I, I really blew it. I made a terrible mistake. And so he prays in repentance to God. Verse 11, now when the Lord, or now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. Sin always carries a penalty, carries a consequence. So there was a consequence for this. God was going to let David choose how he would be chastened. Notice what happened. You know, did God say, David, you idiot, you blew it? I'm done with you? No. Did he say, you know, I am withdrawing my blessing from what you are doing? David came to see that he had made a mistake. David repented. There was a punishment. But God still blessed King David and the nation. God still backed up David's authority. God is the one who placed David in the position of being king over all Israel. Notice how God has a loyalty to those that He has chosen. Even when they make mistakes. You know, aren't we glad of that? That God is loyal to us? That when we stumble and when we make mistakes, God doesn't say, you know what, that's it, I'm done with you. Aren't we glad that God is loyal to us? That when He calls us for a purpose, and we stumble, as long as we turn with repentance to Him, He's the one who sees that. He's the one that looks on our heart. And as He helps us and guides us and works with us, He is loyal to us. We're told that He's faithful. The special music we heard about how He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He will be with us till the end. You know, this was not the only mistake that David made. It was a high profile mistake. Think about his sin with Bathsheba. And yet, David was repentant. When he understood his mistakes, he turned to God with repentance. And God continued to bless him and use him and work through him to lead the nation. Let's go to another example, Matthew 26.
I'm going to notice another example here, and that is the example of Peter. In Matthew 26, this was after Christ had instituted the New Testament Passover symbols. They had finished then with that. They had gone out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 33, Peter said to him, or answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Think for just a moment about the, uh, say, the self-deception there. You know, here is God in the flesh giving you a warning. And He's in essence saying, well, you missed it on this one. So Peter goes on to uh, assure Christ that he will uh, not do so. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter again denied. Nope. <laughs> not, not, not me. You know, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. We're familiar with the story, but let's go on and notice a couple of the details. That Christ went on, verse 37, and he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee, or and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So Christ went on and prayed. Verse 40, And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? One hour. I just left. And here you are already asleep. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 43, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So again, the same thing takes place all over again. Christ had warned them, and he had gotten very specific with Peter. He said, you know, this is going to happen before morning. Before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me three times. Watch and pray. How is it that we overcome the temptations, the obstacles that are set before us? How is it that we can be loyal even in the midst of great temptation to swerve? Only by prayer and study. Peter here was was told by Christ to stay and and pray. 
And yet, all these things unfolded. You know, for the amount of difference it made in Peter's life, the, the, the warnings could have just as easily not been given. He didn't heed them. He didn't understand that they really did apply to him. He thought, oh, those are that applies to all these other guys. I hope they're listening. You know, human nature doesn't change. So, Peter is there when Jesus is arrested. He's the one who draws his sword to protect Jesus. Christ tells him, no, put that up. As Christ is led away, Peter watches, follows. Let's notice verse 73. He's been asked about Christ now. Verse 73, And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. You know, Peter had been warned, and yet he didn't heed the warnings. He fell headlong. Let's go back. To Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10. Now as Peter wept bitterly, was deeply grieved and sorry for what he had done, for failing to listen to the advice that he had been given, wished that he could take those words back. But you can't unring the bell. You know, once we say something, once we do something, we can apologize, we can try to make amends, but we can't undo it. Let's notice some words here that Peter must have have heard almost ringing in his ears. Something that Christ had told him earlier. In Matthew 10, verse 33, Christ said, Whoever denies Me before men, him will I also deny before My Father who is in heaven. Here Peter had just done that. Denied Christ before men. Surely those words would have been some that he was thinking about as he was so deeply repentant for what he had done. What happened? Peter was repentant. God gave him another chance. 
He went on. God used him greatly. God used him greatly. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told the husbands love your wives just as Christ so also loved the church and gave himself for her. That the love, the faithfulness, the loyalty that a husband and wife have towards each other is a type that helps us understand the love, the faithfulness that Jesus Christ has towards the church. The marriage vows require loyalty, great loyalty. The physical marriage, the marriage union pictures that relationship between the church and between Jesus Christ. We can see here the loyalty that Christ has for the church. A self-sacrificing loyalty. We can't be loyal, really loyal, and also seeking our own way. You know, being loyal requires that we are willing to sacrifice for what we are loyal to. Too often what we see around us in society is perhaps only a loyalty to self. It's not a loyalty to others. It's certainly not a loyalty to God and how that is applied in our lives. Love produces loyalty. Love produces loyalty. God loves us. He is loyal to us. He hasn't dumped us. And none of us is perfect. Now, as we understand what it means to be loyal, we need to understand God's loyalty towards those that He is working through. And as we strive to have that mindset within us, to apply it that way in our lives, then we will be loyal to to those that God is working through. We're trying to become like Him means we should be striving to see how God sees things. Let's, that we are practicing godly loyalty to those that He is using. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 7, Psalm, the 75th Psalm. The 75th Psalm, 
verse 6. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. In other words, in leadership, positions of rulership and responsibility are from God. They're not by politicking or by choice. It's from God. God is the one. It's not from the east or from the west or from the south. It's from God. God is the one who raises up and who puts down. That is a concept that is absolutely essential for us to understand. That when someone is in a position of authority, God has placed them there. And God is using them to accomplish His purpose. And they will be there so long as God is using them. And when He's finished, He will remove them. But if they're there, it's because God has placed them there. He, he puts down one and exalts another. He is the judge. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. important that we understand that those who are in positions of power and authority are there by God's will. He has placed them there for His purpose. Let's notice an interesting passage here in Luke 9, verse 49. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Now think for a moment about what was taking place. John said, We saw somebody casting out demons. In other words, he was, this other individual was commanding the demon to leave, and it was obeying, it was leaving. And yet he wasn't somebody that was following there with them. Christ said, don't, don't forbid him. You know, God, God was working in more than one place. That's one of the things that we can see there. But does that mean that we can pick and choose? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul talks about the fact here that there are many teachers. We may have many teachers in Christ. And yet, as he points out, we have but one Father in Christ. He uses the phrase there, I urge you, imitate me. That they were to recognize the way that God had used Paul, the unique way, the unique way that God had used Paul and were to be loyal to him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 1, Paul says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul again here, building on that unique way that God had used him. Drawing his own example for them to follow. But he doesn't say, just imitate me, period. He says, just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, being loyal to Him as He is being loyal to Christ. You know, we learn in a variety of ways. We learn by, by reading. We learn by hearing. We learn by example. You know, how many times has someone been explaining something you say or think, you know, I really am going to have to see that? Perhaps a complicated math problem. And you have to see it worked out on the board to really understand it. You know, how would you like to have to, to uh, learn trigonometry just by having it explained and, and not be able to see an example of it worked out? That would be pretty difficult. You know, God has called us to learn His way of life. A unique way of life. A way of life that we don't see being practiced in the world at large. And yet, Paul here is calling attention to the fact that as we study his example... Notice how he is following Christ's example. 
that God had used him in a unique way. There was this track record, this lengthy track record. There were fruits that were evident, that could be seen. You know, when I think of that in the church today, I think of a picture that is in the kitchen upstairs. A picture of uh, Dr. Meredith 40 years ago, or or, uh, I guess it's close to 60 years ago now, and one from 1999, and it says, 50 years of service. There's a track record that can be seen. It's well established. You know, we should be thankful to have such an example to follow. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. You know, when Paul said, follow me, he linked his example and Christ's example together. He didn't say, follow me if I turn aside. He didn't say, follow me if I make a mistake. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the big pattern that we are to be patterning our lives after. And then by seeing His example, it helps us to understand better how to make that pattern our own. In Matthew chapter 7, we read here, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. By their fruits you will know them. You know, as we follow God's way of life, There's a result. It looks like something in our lives. There are fruits that are there to be seen. Loyalty to God means loyalty to those that He is using. We can't separate the two. We live in a society in which loyalty is not very common. And that society has an effect on us. It's important that we understand the great importance that God places on loyalty, that we're thankful for it, 
that we understand what it means in various aspects of our lives, how we apply it. Loyalty means being faithful when it's not convenient. Means being faithful when it's difficult. Not switching, not changing just for convenience. Not switching, not changing for our own self-interest. Now, this passage that we just read here in Matthew 7 is very important because Satan, just like everything else, has twisted and distorted and gotten certain issues so confused. You know, sometimes you'll hear loyalty linked together with the phrase blind loyalty. You know, God expects loyalty, but loyalty that God expects is not blind. He tells us right here the way He expects it. He expects us to be loyal to, to those that He is using, and He tells us how to identify it. And He tells us there will be counterfeits. There will be counterfeits. That's something that Christ warned His disciples about again and again. They would face counterfeits. They would see them. Most of you have seen them. That's why we're here. But loyalty, godly loyalty is not a blind loyalty, but instead discerning those that God is working through. Discerning them how? Discerning them by their fruits. By their fruits, you will know them. There's a track record. You know, it's important for us to understand that. We can, as we Notice that it's the responsibility is on us to discern that, to recognize those fruits. How are we going to be equipped to do so? By studying faithfully daily so that we can rightly divide the word of truth, that we will have that godly discernment. That we are able to understand the parallels between whatever situation that we face and those choices that others down through time have faced, those choices that are recorded for us. We can see the choices that various ones faced and what the result was. Too often, perhaps out of uh, selfish ambition, or for whatever reason. You know, there's a lot of, um, say, treachery that goes on. Various ones will exalt themselves, will make some sort of accusation about others. You know, over time, we've seen that, but that's not new. We read about that in Scripture. You know, that situations like that have have taken place. And yet, if we are studying Scripture, we will be able to discern the difference and recognize the difference between when God removes His blessing, as He did from our former association, and when 
Perhaps somebody that is in a position that we happen to see makes a mistake, and yet God is the one who is in charge. He is the one who has placed them there. And as long as they repent to Him, that blessing will continue to be there. Those fruits will continue to be there. And that's something that is evident for all to see. You know, loyalty in action means that we're not quick to desert in difficult times. And in times of difficulty, that we don't turn aside for convenience. Means that we're quick to give the benefit of the doubt. We're quick to give the benefit of the doubt. If we hear something, are we quick to say, I can't believe that. That is terrible. Or are we quick to give the benefit of the doubt? You know, that should be our attitude towards those that are in positions of leadership. Our Father in Heaven. We can be very thankful that as He guides us and directs us, as we walk to, to follow in Christ's footsteps, that when we make mistakes... He gives us another chance. You know, certainly we looked at the example of David and the example of Peter in that way. There are others that God used in a unique and special ways. It's important that being loyal means that we're not caught up in fault finding. That we're not Involved in gossip. You know, that we're keep firmly in mind that God is the one who places people in positions of leadership. And they're there at His pleasure. They serve at His pleasure. We all know the supreme importance of being loyal to God. Let's understand what that means in practice as we apply it in our own lives based on God's Word.